if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, that's really going to show because if you're a solopreneur, it's literally just you. So if you're constantly telling yourself, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, it's going to be a lot harder to try to move along. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the show. Hey, Max, thanks for having me. The reason why I want you to come on my podcast is you are a high-level athlete and also an entrepreneur, and I think there's a lot of synergies between these two mindsets. Uh, One of the things that I've seen and and witnessed is a lot of retired professional athletes end up becoming uh, good business people because I believe that there are similar mindsets between both in order to succeed at a high level. You are a high-level rugby player, and now you're also an entrepreneur in the marketing space. So I just want you to come on my podcast to share more about that. And hopefully my listeners can get uh, some valuable insights in terms of what they can leverage from someone with a high-level mindset in uh, both uh, athletic performance and in business to help hopefully succeed in their career in business. So before we dive deeper into that discussion, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Sure. Um, so I'm Melissa of MEO Marketing Group. I'm a copywriter, marketing strategist, and semi-retired rugby player. I really miss playing rugby. <laughs> I don't miss all the injuries. I have pretty much everything in my body, but I don't miss needing to be fit every day of the year. It's super time-consuming, and it's I've, I was able to do a lot with it. So I don't think I'm really missing out anymore, even though I miss it. But it is really fulfilling to have been able to start a business and create something that's completely my own. There are two very different things, and like I really didn't think that there would be a lot of correlation in that. I was a paralegal for eight years before I was a copywriter, so I don't have a background in marketing. So it took a while for me to kind of find the direction I wanted to head in, but I'm really happy with the way things are going. So how did you get into marketing if you were a paralegal like in law for eight years? Well, I didn't enjoy the job. <laughs> I do find it interesting. I mean, like, I was able to, I was, I had a good job for being a paralegal. Like I was making good money. I was at a really big firm downtown, but I've always loved writing since I was a kid. And my two big interests growing up were always writing and playing sports. And I just didn't know besides writing a bunch of books that all miraculously become bestsellers. Like, I don't know how else you can become a writer after <laughs> living. And I got a Facebook ad for copywriting. So I watched the masterclass, invested in the course. And after a little bit, I thought, well, I think I could do this full time. So I looked into it a bit more, um, started my business and while I was still working. So that time period was weird because you still have to pay your bills, but you're still trying to grow something on the side. And eventually my biggest chain client at the time, they told me, well, we have more work for you. Is it going to replace my income? So coincidentally, I ended up quitting my job on my birthday, which was super cool. Um, that was not the plan. Bad news was that a couple of weeks later, the company sold. So I went from being super excited about quitting my job and going to my business full time to not having any income. So that was like my first huge hurdle. <laughs> so there's always that debate about like, should you go full time right away? Should you make it a side hustle, which you did for a little bit? And then uh, once you saw some traction, you ended up quitting your job. Obviously, the scenario wasn't to your favor because then uh, they ended up getting sold and then uh, you lost your big client. What was your uh, thought process in terms of like juggling both a, building your uh, business on the side while working a full-time job as a paralegal? And then when did you decide to make that switch? And going to that other side of how you lost that client due to the acquisition, what was your plan after and your mindset? That was a really rough year for me. So I've been a copywriter for three years, been in business full-time for two, um, just because like I had a lot of external things that had nothing to do with my career or with my business that just made it 
almost impossible <laughs> to get any traction. So I was really, really eager to just kind of get that going because I was also really burnt out about being in the legal field for a long time. So I quit my last legal job in like May and then like a month or so later, I got a sales job for a little bit just to get me going until I got a little bit more traction in my business. Because it, it is really hard to balance that because of course you have to pay your bills, but you also want to cr- increase this at the same time. So it's hard to find that right timing of, where is my energy best spent? Because it's so exciting once you finally do quit your job, but then afterwards you're really overwhelmed because <laughs> you're like, okay, well, yeah, I can write copy, but like, I don't know how to write a business. Like, I don't even have a logo. Like, I don't know how to do all these other things. So there's so much that you have to learn. And I knew I had a lot to learn, but especially in the beginning when you have less experience, there's way more doubt. And I think because I've been playing sports my whole life and like, I play, especially from playing rugby a lot, because I'm not a big player. I'm 5'3", usually like 115. So like, I'm not, I'm not a hard hitter, obviously. <laughs> but that didn't, like, I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a bad player. Like, I think it's just a beautiful metaphor for life because you get hit really hard a lot of the times. Sometimes you give it your best effort and you're still going to get run over or you're not going to score or whatever the goal is. But you have to get back up and you have to try again, which doesn't mean you're not going to still accomplish the goal you might have to do it a little bit differently. And that's how I approached everything with business because a lot of things don't go the way you want them to. You might think, oh, this is a really good idea. Let me try this for a little bit. It turns out not going the way you want to. And you can't take everything so personally. You can dwell on it for a little bit and just try to find a lesson in everything so you can move on and improve. Because if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, that's really going to show because if you're a solopreneur, it's literally just you. So if you're constantly telling yourself, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, it's going to be a lot harder to try to move along. Yeah, again, like entrepreneurship is not a straight line. So even though you are doing everything according to plan, it's still not going to work out. Similar to high level competition, you could have the like perfect game plan and just one bad pass or one bad shot ends up yeah, costing you the game. But how do you push when that one unlucky bounce ends up costing you uh, a lot? That's a good question. Um, I think it's really easy to get discouraged um, when you're a solopreneur, because especially if it's your first business, I forget the exact statistic, but I know it's a pretty high percentage of ones that fail. And I don't think it's necessarily like a lack of hard work. I think it's more so a lack of direction and a lack of clarity. Because there's just a lot that you have to learn and not everybody has the resources to invest in like a high level coaching group, for example. So like I just try to let myself take a step back whenever something doesn't go the way I'd like it to and try to think of it, okay, well, what could have I have done better? What in particular did I not like? What went well? And then just try to optimize and pivot from there because it's okay if things don't go the way you want them to. It's going to happen all the time. <laughs> but eventually, like you just kind of find your, like, your footing, you start finding your style and like more online clients and everything. It just doesn't happen all at once. So it's hard to be patient. Uh, and how long have you been uh, doing this business? Um, two years and a copywriter for three years. Okay. And through those two to three years, what were some of the hardest things that you had to do that you haven't experienced because this is your first business right now? Honestly, I think it was generally just my first year in business because um, all the external things that were going on. So I was like really looking forward to going into my business full time. And then I finally did it and then lost all my income all at once. So I think I should have planned for it a little bit better just because like there are so many success stories out there, which are really great. But I think it's just as important for people to talk about their setbacks and their failures too, because you can still be successful even if you failed a couple of times or something didn't go the way you wanted it to. 
And it makes it more feel more achievable to people. I've been really fortunate, like all my businesses come through networking and through referrals. And it's hard to find that right balance of like ideal fit clients and whether you're like a contractor or whether they're your client, if that makes sense. Because when you're a contractor, it's pretty easy for the relationship to be more so of an employer employee relationship. And I remember I was writing blogs for this company and I no longer offer blog writing anymore because I don't enjoy it. <laughs> and they had, a, I forgot what the minimum was. The minimum wasn't a crazy amount, but it still took me a bit of time to write everything. And then after like a month and a half, they let me go. And I remember thinking, because <laughs> they liked the quality of work that I did. They just wanted me to write more blogs. But if I wrote more blogs and spent more time with them, because it was a contracted position. So it was a little bit of like an employee employer relationship. I didn't have enough time to move my business forward. And it was really hard to do both. It ended up working out okay. Like I got other projects and was able to pay my bills and everything. But the online world and the business world move pretty fast. And it's okay if something doesn't happen the way you want it to right away. Like there are other ways to do it. You say you don't offer blog writing services because you uh, don't enjoy it. Uh, a lot of uh, people, when they start a business, they are trying to figure out what will make the money. But sometimes the thing that makes the money is not what they're actually interested in. So what is your uh, opinion in terms of like finding something that makes money, but you also find something that you enjoy at the same time? If possible, try to find something that does both. I personally don't like writing blogs because it takes me a long time to write them because it is a lot of research, but they don't look like there are a lot of research. <laughs> and it's one of the first things that people outsource to AI. And the way I write copy, like especially when I'm writing sales pages and website copy, like I have research calls with my clients, past clients. So I get like really specific and intimate transformative experiences from clients. And like, that's not on the internet, like AI can't do that. So try to find something that can't necessarily be done by AI, if that makes sense. Because like, I see it as a tool. I don't see it as a replacement for a copywriter because it can't create anything original. But it takes a little bit of experimentation <laughs> because the copywriting is so broad even though it's part of marketing, like some people just do um, website copy or they only do branding. And it's okay to take on a bunch of different types of projects while you're still getting experience because it turns out you might really like working on a certain type of project, for example, or you were really looking forward to a certain type of project and it just wasn't what you expected. Like it's okay. Like a business is a lot of experimentation and there's a lot of surprises along the way. In, in terms of like the surprises, what, uh, as a business owner, uh, what were some of the surprises that you experienced? I think realizing like how I knew a lot more than I thought I did. I was hesitant to take on speaking engagements and like teaching master classes because in my head I was like, well, who am I to teach about copyright? <laughs> because there's so many other people have more experience, you know? But then I was teaching for um, an old teammate of mine who's in New Zealand. He runs a marketing company. So I taught something, I don't remember what the exact topics were. I think it was generally on building your sales funnel. And for me, it was fairly basic, like stuff that I've been doing for a while. And the people were so nice. They're like, thank you so much. Like, this is like really helpful. And I thought, wow, I actually kind of do know a lot. <laughs> and ever since then, like it just became a lot easier just to kind of like raise my hand more and say like, yeah, I can talk about this specific topic. I can talk about this and just getting more specific on the things that I'm teaching about, like sales pages. Um, ethical marketing, email segmentation, serving your list and all that stuff. And like a couple of months can go by and I'll talk to like a past client of mine. I was like, oh, like I'm actually, even from then when I knew a lot, I've grown a lot since then too. So like it's growth isn't just monetary, you know, like of course the revenue is great, but there are a lot of different ways that you can improve as a, as an entrepreneur too. Going back to like the, um, 
being a rugby player, like when you go to practice, like what are specific things that you work on that you know that you need to work on? And how does that translate to visits? Like both like personally or in the actual visits? Like how do you identify what you need to work on uh, during those sessions? That's a really good question. I think the reason a lot of ex-athletes turn entrepreneurs do well is because you're used to being consistent. And you know that you have to be consistent, even the things that you don't want to do or the things that you're not best at, for example, because you can't avoid that forever. Like you can't expect to get better if you're just avoiding the thing, you know, that's not going to make you a better player. And it's similar in business. I really enjoy how much, I guess, control I have over everything. Like if I decide like, oh, maybe I don't want to offer this anymore or I want to change my services, for example, that's been really great. I always tell myself, try to make myself a little bit uncomfortable because if it makes you kind of uncomfortable, that probably means that you should do it because you probably feel like, oh, I'm not quite ready for that. But that's how you make progress. Like most progress isn't huge steps. It's a bunch of little steps. <laughs> and you can't expect yourself to make huge strides every single day. But if you're taking little steps throughout the day and throughout the week and everything, it's really cool to see your progress. And I just try to study as much as possible. Um, There's certain copyrights, certain marketers that I follow closely because I like their branding i like their messaging and i trust them and like i just i like to this day like i have a thousand screenshots on my phone that'll air up to my laptop and then i'll type them out in a google doc because i'm always trying to stay on top of everything just because you want to be the best service provider you can for your clients to give them a good experience because you don't want them to give them advice or bad strategy that worked a couple of years ago but maybe doesn't work anymore and make sure you're doing everything to constantly up level your services because people really appreciate that like people will always remember how you made them feel yeah absolutely and, and going back to what you said about like studying and going through a lot of courses and knowledge as a high level athlete you always have to like watch game film right uh whether it's mm-hmm. yourself uh, your team or your opponents like what, what are some of the uh, best practices in terms of like studying game film so to speak and what are some of those habits that you use in terms of studying game film to like study for like courses or get that knowledge to improve your business I always hated watching film, to be honest. <laughs> Not of the team, but like of me, just because you think you're like so athletic and like you look cool. And then you see the footage and it looks so dorky. It's <laughs> not a fan. Like, I do think it's important to take a look at what you've done, like whether it's something from a year ago or something from like six months ago and just seeing your growth from there. Because there's so much that you have to absorb and there's so much that you have to learn and trying to find niche down specifically what you enjoy and then constantly reviewing that and looking at your techniques so you can improve on that is is really important like it took me a little bit of time to find my niche i specialize in sales pages launches um website copy and email marketing and i was initially kind of nervous because before you have experience like writing that type of copy in a way it feels like you're starting over so you're really kind of almost picking apart everything that you're putting together but sometimes you just have to go for it (laughs) even if it doesn't feel like you know everything you're never going to know everything and you still have to have to go ahead and like the difference between my first sales page to my second sales page and then from like my last sales page it feels like a lot but like there was still good quality work but just I love looking at analytics and I'm not a math person but I'm a numbers person or a data person if that makes sense and just seeing improvement in all kinds of ways and just trying to make it a habit of like okay like this is what I specialize in I constantly want to tweak things or see what I can do better absolutely and uh in terms of talking about niche like obviously copywriting is a huge space how did you find the right niche uh to focus on and get the majority of your business from well I knew that the launch space was lucrative so that was part of it but I just 
it sounded a lot more interesting because there is a lot of behavioral psychology and consumer psychology involved in copywriting, but I think I really thrive in long form content, specifically sales pages and in website copy, because that's kind of like the basis. And then you can do everything else from there, if that makes sense. Because like when you're putting together a sales page, you have one ideal client in mind, but you're also thinking of the four different types of buyers and like how they're driven. Like I'm an analytical buyer, for example. So I will probably read every single word. <laughs> I want to know all the details, like the module, the price, uh, the bonuses, all that stuff, just because that's what gets me to make a decision. Other people, they love social proof. So they want really specific testimonials to make sure that someone that was in their shoes is able to now be in the shoes of someone that they want to be. At some point, people are very straightforward and straight to the point and they've already shopped around. They're probably deciding between you and one other person. And they're very fast action decision makers. There's a lot of strategy that goes into putting together a big piece of sales copy. And it sounds like a lot of work. I mean, like it technically is, but it just sounded fun. So after I did it a couple of times, I was like, okay, yeah, I think this is what, what I really want to specialize in because you get to know a business, you get to know a client in a way that's a lot more, I guess it's a lot deeper than just like a transactional relationship of like, okay, write this piece of copy for me. And you just don't have a lot of information to work off of. I really like the research aspect of working on copy projects because that makes the writing process a lot easier. Uh, speaking of uh, differentiating yourself, and you did say like when a potential client reaches out to you, they're probably not just talking to you; they're probably talking to other copywriters as well. So, like, how do you like win them over compared to the competition when you don't know who they are? <laughs> like, for example, like when when you're in a rugby match, you know who your opponent is, you can study them, you can do all that stuff, but you don't, you have no idea who else they're talking to that when it comes to hiring copywriters. So, how do you differentiate yourself and win these clients over when they're also looking at other people that you don't know who they are looking at? That's a great question. I think what works really well for me is like I don't try to sell them which sounds might sound a little bit weird I don't believe in hard selling because I think it's unethical and I think it's gross and I think it's very possible to have a very successful business and not having to be very pushy with people if that makes sense so like when I get on calls with people I always do my homework beforehand ideal scenario they apply through my website and when they apply through my website and they book a discovery call they actually get an email sequence for me and the email sequence, it's just about like three days. It's saying like, hey, I received your application. I'm looking forward to talking to you. And then another email will have a free piece of content just to give like additional value because they don't know me. But from getting that little email sequence, the trust level builds up a little bit. So when they get on the discovery call with me, they feel like they know me a little bit better. And that definitely helps. And I try not to talk too much in general, just because I'm trying to ask them like, okay, like what's currently going on? Like I try to do my homework and like look at all their content, their website, all that stuff. But I'm asking them like, what's current going on in your business? Like, why is this frustrating you? Um, and then just letting my expertise speak for itself because you don't have to tell people like, oh, I can do this and I can do this for you. You can just have a conversation with them. And they were just like, oh, okay, Melissa actually knows what she's talking about. And I think people see that like I'm just being myself. And like I've had a couple people tell me like, well, honestly, I just like you more. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> it's nice to hear like you don't have to be high pressure in order to get clients. And people like it when other people are being themselves. Um, and then it makes it for a pretty easy working relationship. There's always a, a price factor, right? So like, how do you price your services in the market? And like, for example, if, if you say like, oh, uh, a sales page is a thousand bucks and they're like, well, that's a bit expensive. Do you try to like help them overcome that budget objection or you think like they're not the right audience for you? Well, that's a good question too. Um, a lot of that has to do with helping solve that is your messaging. I believe in having all your pricing on your website because you don't want to give someone sticker shock. 
because they probably do really want to work with you, but like maybe they don't have enough money for it yet, for example. So in all my applications too, like I have a question saying the minimum investment is, I want to say it was like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600. I don't remember, just to make sure that they know exactly what they're walking into. So it's not a surprise because it would be really awkward if someone came on the call and said, like, oh, actually I was hoping we could do this for X amount of money. So that has my messaging and having the prices on my website and then having them in my application has helped a lot. Because if your messaging is talking to a certain person that maybe is brand new to business, for example, it's going to be harder to sell them for like a $2,000 sales page, for example. But if you're trying to target more like high level clients, they're going to have different pain points. So just make sure you're talking to them correctly in order to attract the right type of client, because then that's when people get frustrated because they're not working on the type of projects that they want. But as long as like you're good at what you do and um, your messaging is right, then that usually works out really well. Like I don't have like a, like a certain criteria of how often I change my prices. It's more so like, okay, I feel like I've been doing this enough. Like I can charge a little bit more, but it's never anything crazy, like a thousand dollars or anything like that. So you were, you were talking earlier about like how your uh, expertise is launches, right? So when we meet at launch, let's say someone has a new course out or uh, a new product uh, and your job is to help them with the copyright for the launch, whether it's the sales pages, email sequences, et cetera. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, right? But like, I'm assuming you never had a hundred percent like successful launch, right? There's probably a few failures there. I- I'm assuming, I-, I don't know if it is right. So I'm assuming that there might be one or two failures. What were some of the learning lessons there? And- did that end the client relationship or are you able to help them resolve it and they end up trusting you for the next one and that worked out? So what is your experience with uh, failed launches and what are some things that uh, my listeners can take away from those experiences? Yeah, launching is interesting because a lot of launches fail, whether you work with a copywriter or not. And it's one of those things that a lot of people get discouraged and it's hard not to take it personally because we put so much of ourselves into our business and into the offers that create. Like if it's a, for a course, for example, because you could do all the work correctly have this great course that solves a specific problem you've tested it so it's a proven offer and you have great testimonials but if your audience isn't right then it's not going to do well and the first launch I ever did it actually completely failed and it was really frustrating because my client was super great had this great offer and he loved everything that I wrote for him like I honestly think like the copy was really great too but I didn't engage his list and his list engagement enough and that was like my fatal mistake and something like I've learned from since then because he had told me he had an email list and he emailed them say like once a week, twice a week. But I didn't know his analytics and I didn't know the type of audience that like, he had. So what it turned out is that most of the people on his list were either past clients or colleagues or people that he had met through networking or like personally. So it wasn't the right fit. So like the product was great. The messaging was great, but we were trying to sell to the wrong people who didn't need this. And that's why it failed. And my client was super gracious about it. He's like, I know you did everything that you could. I'm not upset about it. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. But I still felt, I still felt really bad, you know, because you want to help that client. So we ended up just re-strategizing. So now what we've been working on is building his list with the right quality leads because that's super, super important. And it's a big reason why a lot of launches fail because you're just not talking to the right people. So that's where we've been working on now, just like getting on bundles and being featured in places, putting his stuff in front of people who would potentially want to work with him, um, which is going to make a huge difference. The first launch with him failed. Did you have to fight for his business to like try again? Because some people like once they say, oh, this isn't work, we're just going to scrap it and like, go in that direction but he trusted you and was willing to work with you again on the second launch so like was there any like sales pitch so to speak that convinced him to want to work with you again or 
did he see a lot of effort from you in the first one that he knew it wasn't the right approach? So he's willing to try again because he knew your stuff was good. It just wasn't the right audience. Yeah, yeah. I um, like it ended up being just fine because it's something that he had been trying to sell for a while. So like it wasn't like the first time a launch with him didn't go well because he had always done it on his own. So yeah, he was super, he was super nice about it. Like it felt nice. Like he so trusted my expertise, and he didn't think like, oh, Bullis is just not a good copywriter, and this is never going to be a success. Which I really appreciated um, because he's a he's a great client. I just like a very nice person has incredible testimonials um, with his clients, and it felt really good to know that he knew we did a good job. It was just the wrong type of audience. Yeah. So as you were saying, one of the uh, main reasons that this client's first launch failed was because it wasn't the right audience. So throughout your experience for your few years uh, in the marketing copywriting business, what are some other factors that a launch would fail? So when my uh, listeners are preparing for their own launch, they know what to uh, watch out for. I think a big one is not doing enough or the right type of market research. Because I know it's a really popular topic right now, uh, digital products and passive income in general, um, but not all courses are great, not all templates are great, and it's hard to find like a good quality one. So I do think it is getting harder to sell people on courses, especially if it's higher ticket. So you don't necessarily need to create one just to create one. <laughs> Try to find something that you're able to solve for your client, something that you get asked a lot because the market research is super crucial. Because if you create a product center around something that nobody wants, then it doesn't matter if your list is super engaged and really loves hearing from you because it doesn't necessarily help them. Market research doesn't have to be super complicated. If you don't have a list, that's completely okay. A lot of Facebook groups allow people to post asking for market research, and that can be a survey. Um, one of my favorite things to do is add a survey to my lead magnets because it's a really simple way to get like real-time feedback and be able to approve an offer at the same time. It's just, it's pretty short. You don't want to make it too long because then people will see and they're like, oh, 12 questions, that's, that's a lot. Um, and make the questions pretty specific. It's an easy way to get great feedback because we're really close to our offers and sometimes we think they're really clear and everything, but somebody might say, well, module two, actually, it wasn't very clear or I didn't quite understand this particular topic, for example. So now you can go back into module two and you can make some adjustments there. And those are things that you might not have caught beforehand um, until somebody said something. Having surveys before somebody starts a course is another great thing to do. And then have one that's similar, but slightly longer after they've completed the course, because then you can get almost like a before and after, <laughs> a virtual before and after, because you're asking them, you're, you're seeing the real results that like your course has done. It just like adds to how great it is. And it's also a testimony you can probably feature on your website. And it's cool for the user to go through that as well. Um, you can also have service for people who don't buy. Not Most people won't answer those, so you're probably gonna get a lower conversion rate for that, but that's completely okay. Because again, um, somebody might say, well, I didn't buy it because I didn't think this portion of the course is relevant to me, or I don't think it would be helpful or something like that, but it's actually really great. So you might just have to adjust the copy for that particular section, for example. So like, again, it's not super high effort because it's going to be automated with everything that you have like in your ESP for your courses and your email sequence and everything. So you just have to check on it periodically. But before you even start a course, you definitely have to get really in depth into it and make sure you're solving an actual problem that people really want to have solved fairly quickly. Um, because you don't want to over promise <laughs> because then people are going to be really disappointed. They're just not going to trust you anymore. 
create something that you know is a good product and then over deliver because people really appreciate having a ton of value, whether they bought something and they didn't expect the additional value or they just opted into your welcome email sequence and they got your lead magnet and a little bit online, you send them another free resource um, just to thank them for being on your list. People really appreciate that because I don't think everything should be kept behind a paywall. Um, but again, just make sure you're really thorough in your market research and you have a product that people would actually really want to buy. And then, of course, making sure that your audience is interested as well, because you can also pre-sell it. Like if you have a couple of ideas, you can ask a question to your list and say, hey, I'm thinking of creating this course on X, Y and Z topics. Uh, which one are you most interested in or which one do you think will be most beneficial to you? And again, it's a super simple way to see what your audience is wanting. So for someone who wants to start a new business or do a new product launch, what are some uh, recommendations that you would want them to go through first before they spend a lot of money and time into uh, getting this thing off the ground? For a new business, it's going to feel really overwhelming for a long time and you're never going to quite feel ready. And that's completely okay, but try to prepare yourself as much like monetarily, like try to save as much money as you can and cut as much of unnecessary expenses or everything, but try to find a trusted person that you can talk to, like a mentor, particularly like in your industry or in your niche, for example, because you can't Google everything. <laughs> and sometimes you do need something that's like very personalized. So that whether this is like a one-on-one -on -one coaching session that, or someone that just is just gifting their time to you to help you out is really invaluable because they can give you insight that you would have never thought of because you just haven't gotten to that place yet, but it, it can avoid a lot of headaches along the way. And going back to the athlete mindset, what are some like things that my listeners should take from an athlete in terms of like being successful, whether it's uh, discipline, always being uh, willing to learn new things, or what are some of the mindset uh, concepts that you would want my listeners to take away if they want to succeed in business? I think a lot of it is discipline. And it's not like you have to do 20 things on your to-do list every single day. Like that's not sustainable. <laughs> try to set yourself up in a way that makes sense to you. Um, like I try to do all my big projects or my big to-dos in the beginning of the day. So I don't feel like I have to work very late because it's easier to put off the smaller things for a different day, for example. But you do have to be really consistent because if you try something out, say you try a niche for the first time and you reach out to cold email like five people and you think, well, this isn't working. I'm going to try a different niche. You don't really know if it even works yet. <laughs> you have to give it like a really good effort for a while because not everything's going to happen overnight. Most things won't. Like most things, like a lot of the time you'll see results like months down the line. And it sounds so simple, but I think it's really important to keep that in mind because we all want to be successful business owners from day one, but it doesn't work out that way, unfortunately. But it's okay to get discouraged. It's going to happen. But don't make it a habit to talk to yourself in a negative way. Because if you have a bad relationship with yourself, it's a lot harder to keep moving forward. Again, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on my podcast to discuss like having the right mindset from both an athlete and business perspective. If uh, one of my listeners is wanting to start their first product launch and they want to hire you as a copywriter, how can they learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Yeah, um, they can check out my website at meomarketinggroup.com or they can check me out on Instagram. Um, at Instagram, my handle is meomarketinggroup. Great. Again, I appreciate the time, Melissa, and best of luck with your business. Oh, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.